You found us through fly fishing. You'll stay for our passion and the community. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Yeah, but he doesn't get it. How come fly fishermen don't get it? You only haul with the short power snap. Look for where people walk and the insides of bends and, and hunt those. The roof blew off and the interior walls got sucked out. And the trees are just coming up. And I mean, he's clearly not going to clear the trees. It is not a fly fishing story. It's a story about me trying to understand my brother through fly fishing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We've been waiting for you. Follow our guests, follow us on Instagram, and share this episode and the love if you enjoy this podcast. And we are live in three, two, one. How are you doing, Fitz? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for uh, coming on the show today. I've uh, I've known about you for a long time. Uh, I don't know what year it was. I don't even. I'm not quite sure when you started, but I've known about the podcast even before we had our podcast here. So I'm pretty sure this. Well, let's just start there. Let's take it back to the podcast right away. We're going to dig into a lot of the stuff you have going. The Patagonia is a big. Uh, you know, we've we've talked to them a few times. I want to hear that story and. And you have this big podcast, but let's just start right at the top. Like, how did you, how did this podcast come to be, The Dirtbag Diaries? Oh, yeah. Well, it was back in a time when podcasts were done in hieroglyphics and <laughs> cuneiform. Um, no, but it, it did. It's been, um, it started, I started working on it in 2006 and it launched in early 2007 back in the day. And so my gig is that before then, I was trained as a journalist. I was a passionate outdoor writer. I was like kind of working as a freelancer for magazines back when they were bigger. Um, and so I would write for climbing magazine or rock and ice magazine or powder magazine uh, outside. So that sort of type of media outlet. And at that stage in time, you know, the outdoor space was big, but not as big as it is today. And I collected all these stories through that, that period of time and I found that I had a really tough time selling stories that didn't include sponsored athletes or the sort of quote unquote sort of heroic members of our community. And there was two types of stories that seemed to get told. It was like you either had to talk to the current best skier in the world or the best rock climber in the world, or you had to do a, a list of the top 10 places to buy a second home at or like new adventure towns or whatever it was. And it was, it was sort of those two extremes. And I had all these wonderful stories that I had accrued through time. And I was also at the stage where it was, you know, I had this year where I sold more stories, I did more work. And then when I did my taxes at the end of the year, I realized that I had made less money hmm. because everyone had dropped their rates. And the writing was kind of on the wall that the, the world was heading towards an online future. And I thought to myself, like, well, cool, I don't think I'm going to be able to keep doing this. You know, I'd done that for six or seven years at the stage. I wanted to have a family one day or buy a house or something like that. And it was like, I was, you know, ready to just keep li I mean, at that rate, I was just going to keep living out of the back of a truck, which was wonderful. But, you know, people need to evolve. And so almost as like a last hurrah, I took some of the stories that I loved but hadn't been able to sell. And I made a podcast. And it had just emerged. I, you know, um, I had a little bit of background in music, so I knew how to record stuff and, and whatnot. But I, I just um, 
I bundled these stories up and I started putting them out there. And probably about the second episode in, I just got excited. I was like, this is, this is cool. I think, I think this is good. <laughs> and I emailed 30 friends and was like, Hey, I made a thing. And they listened to this story. It was about climbing one of the biggest rock spires in North America with two of my friends who were roommates, but they weren't talking to each other anymore because they were so frustrated by being roommates, but they were like doing this crazy first ascent together at the same point because they couldn't find anyone else to go do it with each other. And so like I was the buffer. I was like this third wheel in this really cool moment, you know, in my climbing experience and their climbing experience. But then it was also at the end of their sort of uh, roommate friendship too. And it was this kind of goofy, but fun, great story. And I sent out to 30 friends and when you start a podcast, you of course look at all the data and it was like, cool, my 30 friends listened. And then it was like the next morning, 300 people listened. And the next day it was 3000 people had listened to this. And I was, I knew right then that I was getting a second chance to do what I wanted to do with, with my career, which is tell stories that were meaningful to me and meaningful to the people out there. And it was just like really instantly, I, I knew my life had kind of changed. And that I was, you know, I had a shot at being able to do what I loved. And the, the podcast grew from there um, in, in ways that I just, you know, never, never could have imagined really. And it's been a, just a wonderful experience to go through it. And, you know, now it, it, in the beginning, it was really the stories that I found. And then there became a certain point where, one, the scope of our community was changing. And two, like, a, a, you know, there weren't enough, I couldn't generate enough stories on my own like that. And so now it's become, you know, a pretty cool collection of, of uh, community people participating and we help them tell their own stories to a, a variety of producers work on the show. And, you know, I've been able through time to make space for um, other people and do that. And, and it really has become this cool community project that I'm deeply grateful for. And it, it certainly, it changed my life for sure. So pretty neat. That's amazing. And that was back in, I mean, 2006 is amazing because I know when I started listening to podcasts, which was probably somewhere around 2014, I don't know, maybe 2013, maybe soon, you know, earlier, but somewhere in that range. And I know that I had people I listened to and they started their podcasts and maybe to, you know, 09. I mean, you were at the, does it feel like when you look back at it that you were at the beginning? What was, was it a podcast? Did you start off right away? Was it a podcast back then? I don't even remember that. Yeah, it was. It would have been a podcast. It wasn't a blog beforehand or anything like that. So it was on Apple Podcasts. It was on Apple Podcasts, yeah, right away. And there weren't that many. I don't know if you know Bill Simmons. He's the the very famous sports yeah. writer, commentator. He started as a blogger. Then he started a podcast. And I think, and then maybe ESPN had like one podcast. I can't remember which one it was. I mean, now they have like 400, right? But there was, I think we were included in sports. And so there would be days where I'd be, like beating out the ESPN NFL <laughs> uh, podcast, you know, because it just, some days it would just work out well and there weren't that many people listening to it. And it really was like, cause the, the technology was clunky at that stage. It, you, you had to take it, you had to, you know, basically go to your iTunes account, go to the Apple podcast page on iTunes and you download it to your computer and then you put it onto your i your iPod. If you had one of those, we used to burn them to CDs. So it was this sort of like, there were a lot of college kids, I think, at that stage, downloading it in their dorm rooms because they were willing to kind of deal with the show that was uh, the sort of technology at that moment in time. And 
you know, and there was enough in the beginning that it really sustained us. And then of course, like once the, the iPhone became ubiquitous and then the podcasting apps became ubiquitous, that's the moment where it was viable beforehand, but that was the moment where it was like, oh, we saw, we saw huge amounts of growth at that stage. We saw a lot of growth in the beginning. And then we saw in that 2012 kind of era, like a lot, like where it was like, like quite a bit of growth at that period. That was it. Yeah. Then that's where I came into it. Yeah. That was where I first learned. Nice. So, and what are, and I know the stories, I love it, how it's gone, you know, it's kind of evolved. Like I think a lot of podcasters evolve their shows, but now you have other people telling their stories. I mean, what was, if you take it back to the start, have you always had, has it always been, I mean, I, I consider your, you know, your podcast kind of more uh, highly produced compared to say like the show we do, which is more of an interview show where I'm interviewing guests or listening to you tell your story. Has it always been uh, kind of highly produced from the beginning or has it evolved over time? Yeah, it was always highly produced from the beginning. Um, you know, I mean, I certainly would say that we've gotten a lot better and um, the sound quality wasn't great at the beginning, but the intention was to always create something that had swells to it, that had a more linear story than, than the conversation. And some of that was just how my brain worked. It was the things I was listening to at that time or, or thought were interesting. And it was also just a period where it was kind of, it was all up for grabs. And it's so funny because I think now we think so much more about the conversational style of podcast is become the dominant version, right? Yeah. But back then it was like, well, what is a podcast? And so people at that beginning stage were really answering those questions. And part of it was that you were kind of creating an ear movie, almost like kind of something that was cinematic, but audio. And I don't think we always hit that at the beginning, but that was that was the goal that I wanted to create. I wanted to, in the beginning, I was actually making the music for it. And I really quickly learned, like, it's like, oh man, I didn't, didn't have enough time. And then there was a cool, I got approached by a cool company that was kind of like helping podcasters put new kind of indie rock or, or kind of like independent music on shows. And so I could like utilize their catalog because I didn't have enough time to actually make music of my own. But in the beginning, that was the sense is like, oh, I, I want this part to feel like this. And so like now if I, if I use the, the piano here like this i can do that or, or whatever or this great song um that was the goal is i wanted to have quietness and loudness and that range of emotion that you can find in a film in podcasting worlds and and you know i, I think i've gotten better at that as as we've gone through time and i have a lot of really great collaborators that allow us to hit that when we're doing good work now that's right and how do you do that? And maybe describe that for somebody listening that maybe hasn't uh, listened to your show yet. Um, you know, there's lots of people listening now that, you know, they, they're into fly fishing, but all sorts of other activities. A lot of the stuff you covered, you know, you cover on your show. But uh, describe how is it produced? How do you do it? Like, take us back. So you have an episode. I know you, I've, you know, a few of the recent episodes you had one on kind of, um, uh, you've got a diverse range of topics, but talk about how typically it's produced. Yeah. Um, well, part of it is there's always an engagement with our, and I'm sure it's the same for you. There's always an engagement with our listenership. So oh, yeah. sometimes we get emails about like, oh, you should check out this person. They're doing cool things or, hey, this, you know, this happened to me. We also have an awesome team and a like solid, you know, I've committed my life to these sports that we talk about, to, to spending out time outside. And I've just, I've lived this. It's strange, you know, I do spend a lot of time at a desk, I, but I lived this in a, in a real way growing up where it was like, I made choices that seemed really irrational because I was just in love with 
climbing in particular and the community that surrounded it. And a lot of my peers did incredible things. They either became, um, you know, incredible sponsored athletes or they became incredible creatives that were working for National Geographic or, you know, shooting nature documentaries for planet. I mean, like it was really, it was a neat group, but a lot of us started like by living out in the back of our cars and it all just happened at the right time. And there was like a really cool community around it. So I was fortunate enough to have other people that were interested in story, that were interested in telling stories, that cared about our community, that thought that other people should try to, should experience this too, because there's just joy and there's learning in whether it's climbing or whether it's fishing. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. And, and, you know, the world needs more good things. Right. Yeah. And, and so that said, is like, I know that's a really high level, but it's like, it's being tapped into that community and we find that, and, you know, we go through, sometimes it means that we're just calling someone and kind of having them recount it. Sometimes we, we go on an adventure with somebody and kind of tell the story through that. And then we come back home and, and we spend a lot of time in front of a computer and, and working on it as a team. And how can this get better? asking those questions and some, you know, some stories don't take us that long to make, like maybe they're 30 or 40 hours of, of time total. Sometimes it's, um, you know, it could be a hundred hours on a piece, um, on one of our stories. And then even on the extreme end, like there's a, uh, I also run another podcast with Alex Tonald, the free soloist and professional climber called climbing gold. And we did a sort of a, four part series there about this moment in climbing history when a plane crash full of marijuana in the high country of Yosemite and all these climbers um, basically took a sort of entrepreneurial role in figuring out how to uh, get the weed out of there and, <laughs> and sell the weed. Oh wow! And it was kind of crazy chapter. That story was something we worked on for months and you listen to something like that. And that is very cinematic in that <laughs> level. Yeah. What episode is that? Do you re- now? Do you have uh, the episodes memorized? You know, of, like exactly. Oh no! I I mean the that was on climbing gold, um, which is a separate podcast. But uh, that was I think at the end of I don't remember what numbers they were, but that was at the end of twenty twenty two. Okay. Well, we'll circle back. We'll have some show notes, so we'll have some links to these some of the stuff you talked about here. This is great, and and so yeah, I mean it's it's awesome. And, and your team, I want to talk a little about your team as we get into this too, but. Talk about, you know, the, the sports, you know, outdoor sports. Do you, is it a hundred percent open to whatever is a good story? Do you guys cover everything or is there anything that you really haven't covered? Maybe you want to cover looking ahead. Yeah. Um, no, I think we're pretty, we're pretty open to it. Although it was, I, I will note that, um, the one place where I was sort of surprised almost last year, we ran our first story about hunting, which I kind of was like, really, is this the first story about hunting? And I was sort of surprised because I would consider that that a part of the community. I know it's sort of sometimes viewed as slightly divergent, but I don't know why. But that was a that was actually I was sort of surprised, and it was a great story. It was a really interesting story, just about you know someone getting curious and then just fully going on the you know being a backcountry skier actually. But then they went on this full deep dive into elk hunting, and it was a it was a neat neat story and really cool. Uh, we have covered a lot like we have a pretty broad definition of outdoor experiences and what that can be what about fly fishing do you have a fly fishing episode yeah well you know first off that it's really funny because like my gateway into the outdoors was fishing oh wow i grew up in southern florida um near the intercoastal waterway and 
as a kid, I was kind of, you know how sometimes people describe teenagers as bored teenagers. Yeah. You know, I was like, I hated being bored. I, I don't know how to say it other than that. I've always been that way. But particularly at that age of my life, I was a sort of like a restless kid <laughs> in that sense. Like I could be very focused. I could be really interested. I wasn't like distracted, but I was, I was restless and I was always searching for that. And part of the thing I did, you know, I wasn't as psyched about going and hanging out at the mall. I loved, I just loved being outside. I loved riding my bike, but there weren't a lot of outdoor opportunities where I was other than like going down to the seawall. My mom taught me how to, um, you know, taught me how to like crack open a snail, and put it on a hook and like, you know, try to fish for a sheep's, sheep's head. <laughs> I ended up later on in, in, you know, my teenage years, I ended up in Connecticut and I actually was around these great fly fishing rivers. Uh, I think there was one called the Bantam River. There's some really good lakes nearby that had bass and trout and the Housatonic oh, yeah. was, was kind of nearby too as well. So there was these actually great things. And I learned how to fly fish. I like went really kind of deep down the rabbit hole. And that was like part of my gateway into exploring. And I just like, I love that. I used to like be able to ride my bike to um, these little kind of rivers or whatever. The Housatonic was bigger, but some of the smaller rivers, I'd be able to ride my bike and just ditch it underneath like a you know, the side of a bridge and just would wander in these streams. And it was like this, it was my gateway, you know, realistically into the rest of the outdoor space. And it, you know, came from starting just casting off of a, a seawall and then it, you know, it turned into fly fishing. And, and from that side, I like, I loved, I loved the, I kind of felt like at that stage in my life, I went pretty deep on it where I was like oh, trying to figure out, you know, using my summer, money to go buy feathers to tie flies and you know whatnot and it was like it was like i was doing the thing at that stage and really into it and i just loved the intricacies i liked the intellectual side of of connecting systems and and tactics to a sort of dynamic environment that's what i loved about climbing um as well because it tapped the same thing of being like how do i have this vision of success right you know and it differs in each sport but how do I work within the natural environment? How do I shape my life? How do I um, shape my day in order to most successfully adapt and connect with an environment and, you know, have a sort of certain experience, you know, with, the, with climbing, it's like getting the top of a peak, but you know, same thing with fish, you know, it's just yeah. like, there, there's all these details, there's approaches to it, there's tactics, there's gear, it all fits inside of this bigger system. And I love it. Yeah. And you keep learning. I mean, oh, yeah. fly fishing is like a life and is climbing the same way where you just never, you never master it. <laughs> well, I'm learning, I'm learning how to suck now, but yeah. no, <laughs> no, no, I, I do. I, I'm sort of joking. No, I, I am at this stage of my life, um, with climbing, my body's gone through a lot and I'm not the same, same as I was, you know, 20 sure. years ago. Like I'm just, I'm not as flexible as I used to be all these things. And I still am like quite capable and a solid climber, but I won't be what I was when I was 26 again in my life. That's one of the interesting things. We've had a number of episodes. I mean, I've talked to lots of professional athletes and different sports and everything, and and even professional athletes that were professional in something and then got into fly fishing, like guiding and stuff. And that's the cool thing about fly fishing, I think, is that it's literally one of those sports. I mean, I don't even call it a sport, you know, but whatever, it, it's what it is that you can do into your 90s. You know, you could all, you can be a better fly fisherman even, right, as you get older. And so do you think, I mean, do you, at all the outdoor th activities and things you've covered, do you feel like fly fishing is unique or are there other ones a lot like that that you get better even into old age? 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's funny. Like, I do think that that's the biggest difference between, you know, say climbing and fly fishing is that like, I was sort of joking about like, I'm learning how to suck, but I am like emotionally learning how to be like, I'm not the climber I was. I can't do the same things. I can't take the same risks and expect a positive outcome to come out of that risk. Right. Is it like a professional, like you're a, you look at a, a NBA player, I mean, at 40, they're old. Is that kind of the same thing with climbing? You know, not for everyone, but I think it gets harder. Yeah. You know, I think there are some people that, that are just maybe are kind of like, well, they well, I should be, I should be clarified. They've shaped their, their life around or they're able to shape their li- life around it while they're doing all the right things to sort of take care of and prolong their body. Um, they are, but I think it's, you know, for me it kind of at 40, I was like, Oh, I'm starting to notice some of this. And I do love that about, about fly fishing. Like I, I don't fish that often, but I, you know, had the, I was swinging flies a Hmm. few weeks ago on a river in Oregon. So, you know, there you go. That still happens. So it's, it's there and it is like, it's something, it's something for me, it's where I started, but I do see myself going back to it for all those same reasons of just, of being like, it's the same, it's the same mechanisms of tactics and sort of watching the environment, watching the world work, and then sort of fitting in your approach to that. And so I think that that, that I will never get bored with. And I think it's, I, you know, just kind of adjust what I'm doing to work with where I'm at in, in this journey through life. And Patagonia, we've talked a lot about in the past. Um, you know, uh, we have a good friend, River Horse Nakadade, is, he does a lot of uh, some films, some short stuff with Patagonia, and they're a big player. We talk about them a lot because of all the conservation stuff they do. How did, um, how did that connect? I mean, I know obviously Vaughn is a big climber. I mean, that's how Patagonia started. How did you connect to Patagonia originally? Yeah. Um, well, Patagonia has been a huge, they've been an awesome supporter of the show. They, they actually uh, joined, I want to say the fourth episode in. So very, very early on, um, they started supporting the show, which wow. was incredible. And have been there for the 17 years. And I'm very grateful for that. Very grateful for the support. I think they've helped build our community and it's sort of stretched what the outdoor community is because of it so i'll say that but i i had a connection with patagonia just because as part of my freelance writing i used to write for the catalog so i would you know occasionally like write essays for them i got connected them through that level and when i when i did it you know i was like hey i i did this thing and they almost came back to be like hesitantly they were like hey we don't want to offend you but do you think we could sponsor you? And I was like, oh, wow. hell yeah, you can sponsor Jeez. me. I mean, it was like early enough in that whole whole internet world where it was sort of hard to, companies weren't. Well, they didn't even know what it was. They still don't know what sponsorship is in podcasts, right? To a certain... Yeah, right. It's still, you're still explaining that stuff. Yeah. And and I mean, that's that was the first 10 years of my career was figuring out, teaching people ways to collaborate in a lot of different ways around the internet and the outdoors. And yeah, so that that's how that relationship started, and then you know through time, I've the parent company of the Dirtbag Diaries, Duct Tape and Beer. Um, we've helped them with some of their films, some of their big campaigns, the environment campaigns, uh, Bears Ears. We we did a, a film recently called New Talk with them, or not that recently, but a, a year ago, called New Talk, which was a story of the first climate refugees in America and this village and um, on the Bering Bering Seas sort of struggle to to get their village moved to um, higher, more stable ground. Right, right. Wow. And uh, 
And so, and duct tape and beer is it, so that is in with that company. Sounds like you do some marketing, some film. What does that cover? Do you cover a lot of topics? Yeah, I've worked in film as well, and so we've done films. We do marketing campaigns. We do brand work, a kind of a variety of of topics. Basically, it was you know early on with the diaries and some of the other stuff I was doing. Actually, like. Probably in 2009, I started an online TV show called The Season, which, and we actually had a fly fishing segment on that where we followed a bunch of, we did two years of it and we would follow an athlete through the course of their season. And that was, you know, really early to the space. It was actually run like a podcast, but it would now be what you would consider probably like a YouTube series or, um, you know, something you might find on a streaming channel. I mean, it, the quality wasn't that good because we didn't have that much money to work with, but but we were trying to, on that scale, trying to build things like that. So there was a stage where I just like, we're doing all these things. We're like connecting communities. We're figuring out how to tell stories. We were, at that stage, we were actually like figuring out some of the technical stuff of like how to actually get this stuff on the internet because there was sort of strange, weird workarounds to actually do that. And so I think duct tape and beer just was that realization of being like, we've done a lot of good work and a lot of people don't, understand how it happens and so can we help other people do that can we help brands do that can we help conservation organizations do that and the company just basically grew out of my experiences kind of in the early days of of the dirtbag diaries and and some of the the online work i was doing gotcha wow that's great so yeah they've been this is cool well and i know the conservation is another piece i want to talk about with your episodes i mean do you guys, when you get into this, I know obviously Patagonia, it's it's kind of everything for them. Is that something you're thinking about getting to these episodes that there's always, you're thinking about that as you get into it? Those are the stories you're trying to tell more of? Or, and, and then and then what is your take on current status? Because we've got a lot of changes and things like that with climate change. Do you feel like you, you I mean, give me your, this is a big picture question, but overall. Oh, it's a huge question. Um, so when I think about our stories and, and the stories I like to tell, the range of emotions that we all have as humans is what makes us interesting, right? And so I like the stories I tell to reflect that. Some days I like to be funny. Sometimes I like to be, make people laugh. Some days I, I like to be inspired, right? Mm-hmm. And some days I want to feel purpose. And so I think in our community, when I look at that, I want to tell stories that have that range that maybe reflect who I am as well. And I think a lot of other people are like that. And so we do, you know, with, with the diaries, we do a, a series that's kind of on been ongoing for probably six or seven years now where we were like, Hey, we looked around and, and there were a couple other small outlets. There's one called high country news, which we have a lot of respect for. We support give as a company to them, but there weren't a lot of people doing interesting um, reporting around recreation and conservation and so we saw a window, we had a team that was had backgrounds and, you know, solid journalism. And it was like, and we're good outdoors people. And we're like, oh, we, we're in a unique position. So we, we've tackled some of that. We don't do it all the time because like I said, it's like some days I, some days I want to laugh, you yeah, know, and, exactly. and some days I want to be thoughtful and some days I want to have knowledge that I can act on. Right. And, and feel like I, I find belonging through purpose. And so we, we have told, you know, through the years, for many years, we worked really closely on Bears Ears, which was the national monument that uh, Obama 
made in the last few weeks of his time in the White House down in Utah. And so we've worked heavily on that. Uh, we've worked in the Boundary Waters, uh, telling stories around the sort of struggle to, to, to keep mining off of out of that watershed. And it's, I mean, we've done stories about Bristol Bay, which I'm sure you have oh, deep yeah. connections to as well. Yeah. Um, the Tongass, it's, I mean, I, I, I'm sort of almost forgetting, like, but we've covered a wide, really wide range of, of places. And we've tried to bring nuance to it because it, the truth of it is, is, is talking, you brought up climate change, right? Yeah. And I am a believer and like, there's people that would disagree with me and that's fine, but I'm like, we're not going to magically wave a wand and not have an impact on this planet. And especially as we transition, like there's going to be needs for mining and it's not like an all or nothing. Like I don't live in that world. I, I gratefully inhabit a world where things are gray and it's not just like this side or that side. And so we have in it, like, while I have my opinion on some of these issues of being like, maybe that's not the right mine in the right place. I do understand that people have different opinions about it. And those opinions, a lot of them are, are valid. People want jobs. They want to have a functioning small town economy, right? Like that's part of it. Humans are as important to this as, as landscapes are. I think we got to do some give and take. I think that there's a lot of ground we can make on a policy level. I mean, it's just, it's even funny, like looking at mining, you know, a lot of mining decisions are, are governed by an 1872 mining law that was passed. And we're talking about like, they made this, this law that we're basing projects or making mining decisions around with like, uh, you know, when you had like the crazy prospector with like a panning for gold with a pickaxe. Yeah. Just after the civil war. I mean, literally just after the civil war. Yeah. You know, right. And it's like, they made this law because like, we don't know what to do. And, and, and it's still the law we're using to, to make some mining decisions out there. And like, that doesn't make sense. And so I think that it's like, I, yeah, I do have an opinion. I think, you know, sometimes people will get frustrated and say, I'm, I'm, political or you know i'm sure they can guess who i vote for and, and that's like i'm okay with that yeah but i do think there's room for thought and i think there's also room for people to understand that there are there are more than just two sides there are multiple sides to stories and it's worth thinking about yeah no i think it's we find the same thing that you know we don't try to dwell on conservation issues all the time but we hit on them and we highlight them. And we, when we do events, we always try to highlight certain areas and local groups and do what we can. Yeah. But I feel like, yeah, I don't think people it is. I mean, there are some negative stories there. I think people don't want to always hear. They feel like it's just, they don't want to hear negative stuff all the time. Like, yeah. you know, the, the brook trout are going extinct, you know, steelhead are going away, you know, all that. So anyways, but King salmon, right? I mean, yeah, King salmon. Exactly. We're, we're living through a time where it's, where it is difficult and it is tough and it can, it can be hard to watch, but I also like, I don't, I don't want to sort of make it sound like I'm looking through like rose colored glasses, but it's also a point where I see a lot of good things being done out there too. And that, that's part of the, the cool things of like having covered some of the stuff is it, yeah. it doesn't actually all feel like doom and gloom all the time to me, you know, it doesn't. And it doesn't feel that way. Cause I see a lot of hope, you know, I think it has to be tempered with realism in terms of what, what's going on on this planet. But I, I do see hope, and particularly in, the, in like the, the younger generation, see a lot of like people that have, you know, they do more than they just say they care. They volunteer, they get active, they're they're participating in, in cleanups. They're you know, and it's like not that the cleanups are going to save the world, but you know, there are people that are trying to figure out how to participate in their local communities, 
you know, in their sports in order to, to make things hopefully better. And I, I find a lot of positivity in that. And, I, and maybe that's just like how I choose to kind of live my life. Yeah. But I, I can't deal with being bummed out all the time either. No, I think you have to, because if you, if you don't have that mindset, then yeah, you're going to be bummed. I mean, I think there are, yeah. I mean, I, we've talked about this before, but like, you know, Rachel Carson, the silent spring, all that area, you know, the whole seventies era when the ESA act came to be, I mean, things are, are a lot cleaner in a lot of these rivers, yeah. you know, than they used to be. So I think there's, we've made some progress and we still have a lot of work to do, right? That's, that's yeah. the point. And, uh, so this is great. No, it was such a good point to bring up. Cause I, I think, and I know this happened last year where there, I think that the, was the Bethlehem the river in Bethlehem, Ohio, I think actually was on fire because yeah. the train fell and caught on fire. But it was like before that, I would remind people, I was like, like, no, 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 there was a stage where our rivers were on fire. They were on fire and they're not on fire anymore. And you're like, it's like, what? And I even think, I mean, I think to even see the the recent news that, that the PFAS, the PFAS, uh, the chemical that's used in a lot of different outdoor like so many different things the sort of forever chemicals that cause cancer that get in the watersheds like we're working towards a ban on those things now what are those in like what products are those in i mean i think that they can be in a, a wide wide range, like array of things everything from like um coatings on shoes to oh right yeah yeah i don't want to i won't i don't want to like throw someone out no but like waterproofing and all sorts of stuff all sorts of waterproofing so many different types of things that were chemicals we made and realized like, oh, these are actually terrible for right. the health of our planet and for the health of our people. And the sunscreen thing, right? All the toxins. Oh, yeah, looking yeah. in that and the impact on reefs and like the shift towards that. So I think there is a lot out there. We're like, it's hard. Yep. You know, humans yep. perspectives, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're very focused on the now. And so it's sometimes tough for us to kind of take a pull back and look at a decade's long trend or see things and see how things are improving and I, that we're not, we're not great at that. And I think that sometimes it's worth doing that and thinking about. Yeah, that's good. Things are actually maybe, you know, we're going to keep working to keep them going in a decent direction or at least, you know, not entirely in the wrong direction, but they are better and we shouldn't take that for granted. And we shouldn't take the work that people did before us for granted either, because a lot of people did a lot of good work to make those things happen. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Where did the, um, you know, I'll change on the different note here, the Dirtbag Diaries. I mean, the name, you know, I always think about, I was just thinking about this before we got out. Like the dirt, I used to call my friend that, you know, that used to cheat on his girlfriend a dirtbag. I was like, Brett, you're a dirtbag. You know, what the hell? So where did that day, the Dirtbag Diaries come from? What's the, is that, is that your, is there a story there? No, no. So the, you know, in the climbing world, and uh, it, it actually goes back to the sort of Yvonne Chouinard era of when he was a climber. Um, in Yosemite, there was the term for the climbers that live there in the sort of what is considered kind of the golden era of climbing, um, which was like 60s to kind of 70s. Oh, right. Before it got really busy. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I don't, I mean, it got busier and busier, but even kind of in that era, it was this moment in time where there weren't a lot of people doing it. And it certainly was not the, it wasn't even a sport. I mean, you couldn't call it a sport in the, the 60s. It was full-on adventure. It required um, athleticism, dedication. It was a period of time where the techniques were evolving. The gear was invol- evolving rapidly. The vision for what was possible of being like, hey, we can go a few hundred feet off the ground to being like, we can go up El Capitan to the 
up this sheer wall. And so the scope of imagination is changing. And so in this period of time, the climbers, you know, this is, there's no sponsorship. There's no, there's no climbing companies. There's no nothing at that stage. And so people had to make a choice in order to do this. They had to live it. And part of what they gave up uh, was sort of material possessions and money. And they, um, you know, there was a culture of it and the, the nickname everyone gave for it just because they were sleeping in the dirt was dirt bag. And so for us, it's not uh, that it's funny because other places you hear and there's a bad connotation to that name, but there's sort of, for us, the, for me, at least the modern meaning of that word is a community that has figured out how to prioritize and make choices in their lives to um, put experiences, communities, purpose and meaning before material possessions or, you know, uh, keeping up with the Jones sort of consumerism. Right. And so I think that that's, that's what that term has come to mean, but it really came from very, very broke financially, but super wealthy uh, in terms of experience, adventure, and purpose and meaning that those climbers found in Yosemite in the 1960s and 1970s. And that's an ethos that's that's continued through our through the climbing community, but it's also, you see it in, in fishing, um, you see it in uh, mountain biking, you see it all over the place, in, in anything. And, and it, I, you see it in conservation, too. That's just amazing. People that are like, you know, have given their lives to it. Yeah. God, that's so cool. I mean, I, it's so funny to think about this because literally, I mean, I'm a dirtbag, you know, I mean, that's because I love, you know, I mean, I love that, you know, that's, that's the fun part. I remember those times where I was in the back, of, you know what I mean? Just out of the truck yeah. or whatever. And just like, okay, I'm just going to be living on this river for the next, however long I want to do it. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. and that's a cool place to be because you feel like, especially in this day and age with all the stuff and all the stuff you can have, it's actually pretty cool to be at that place where you don't have anything except the outdoors, right? I mean, do you feel like yeah. a lot of your listeners are, are still those people? Is that is that what they... You know, I mean, I think it's something, right? Like, there's different there's different points, different chapters in life, right? And I think that our listeners are, are pretty broad in terms of their age and what chapter they're at in life, uh, which I think is a really cool part about the show. You know, there's younger people listening to it and there's, there's people in their 70s listening to it. And so I think some of them are, but I think I think we're all kind of searching for meaning, right? And these sports that, that we love and practice in, I guess I'll back up. I used to get asked the question all the time. It's like, why? Particularly, you know, with climbing. People are like, why would you go do that, right? Or all why right. do people do that? Or why does Alex Donald solo El Cap? Or, right, and, and I mean, I think about it as like, why the hell does anyone steelhead fish? Yeah. You know, it's like the fish of a thousand casts, right? It's like, why? Why would someone find value or meaning or purpose in that? And I answer because like, and I think people would sometimes expect there to be some crazy deep answer to that. And I'd say it's simpler than that. It's fun. It's fun 95% of the time. And then in that extra little 5%, whether it's, a connection with nature, whether it's something happens or goes wrong, or whether you're maybe going through something in your life and there seems to be some sort of outlet or release in that sport or that activity or in that connection to the planet, it becomes something more than just fun. And that's what gives it meaning. So it's like most of the time it's just fun, but in that other, you know, five to 2% of the time, it provides depth and meaning. And I think so many of us in this modern world are looking for that. And 
I think, you know, that's what I think connects our listeners, whether they're 70 or whether they're in college, is they're people that are looking for that. And they're figuring it out because it's, you always got to figure it out. I'm figuring it out. Even though like I spent my life talking about this, I'm figuring it out right now as the 45 year old me with two kids and, um, you know, to, like a business and all that, like, I'm still figuring that out. How do you gain it? How do you find calm? How do you find peace? How do you find happiness? How do you have fun? How do you give back? And I think that's what the show is about really, you know, and it's in the lens of, of these incredible sports we do, but I think at the heart of it, that's what it is. And, and I think, I hope we strive to create something really human and fun. I like laughing. Right. I know that's the key. That's the key. Laughter is the, is healthy. You know, the more we laugh, the more we smile. That's a big part of, of health. So this is good. Um, and I always try to think of that with our show too. You know, I mean, you know, the number one rule, right? Don't be boring. Try to keep it interesting. I think that part of that, like bringing you on the show here is, is part of that. You know, we're doing something different. We're not talking about all fly fishing today. We're talking about, you know, the, I, what I think is pretty interesting and, you know, is just your story and all these podcast episodes that you've done and since it goes back so far to the beginning. I mean, do you have a, you know, as you look out on everything, do you kind of see this as like, I'm just going to keep doing the same thing in the next 10 years that you've been doing? Or do you, are you always trying to tweak things and think like, oh, I can do this a little bit different. The show's going to evolve, keep evolving. I'm a believer in, in evolving. You know, I think it just is part of life. It's what keeps it interesting for me. I mean, I think there's like a root of what we're doing that's, that's sort of constant in there. But I think we shouldn't be afraid to try new things or get excited about new um, new chapters. And it's actually funny, I've been trying to do more inter- interview stuff hmm. because that's something that while I am a good interviewer, I worked so much in this direction where I was working in very edited and produced ways that sometimes my sort of interview style is not like necessarily set up to be in that conversation style format. And so I've actually been working on doing that. That's like a, it's a funny way. I've been like trying to figure that out and get a little bit better at that. Um, I hope I love this. You know, I don't take for granted that I've been exceptionally lucky and that I've had this incredible career getting to do something that's felt like magic to me. So I'm not bored of it, but I also am am aware that it's hard to do something creative for five years. It's hard to do something creative for 10. It's I I see 20 out there and it still (laughs) feels hard. You're close. So the, the desire is there, but I also am just, I feel grateful for everything that I've gotten from this community and all the participation that's come from the outdoor industry and all the support I have. And I realized like things change and I may not, we may not be here five years from now. Right. We may not be doing this. It's possible. But I'm like, that was a hell of a good run if we did that, but it's possible. And I'm going to keep working. You got all the content. So you got all these episodes that are out there that live on your, your podcast yeah. host. Where does this, if the podcast ends, if you do end this thing, are these podcast episodes, do you ever think about that? Or where are they going to live? Maybe even if you head out of this lifetime? Oh, I would, I would just keep them there. I mean, they wouldn't, they wouldn't go away. They're not going to go away. Yeah. As long as somebody's, you got a business, you got a company around. So somebody's going to pay the bills to keep the hosting up, right? Well, I guess that's true, but it's not that, it's not that bad. It's not that egregious. I think that would be a vanity move by me to be like, I'll figure out with, you know, whatever I'm doing, I'd still keep the lights on so people could keep finding these things. Yeah, you have to. 
Nice. Good. Well, this is good. You me- we mentioned Yosemite. I've got actually got an episode coming up with a couple of uh, guides in Yosemite. Is that, you know, when you think of these climbing destinations, I mean, I know they've been, there's a lot of traffic and stuff like that, but is Yosemite, is that kind of top of the, if you think of the United States, or there are a bunch of Yosemite type climbing play, uh, areas? There's nowhere quite like Yosemite in the world. Oh, really? In the world? Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's people come from all over the world, both on a like a tourist level, certainly on a climbing level to go climb there. There's, I mean, it's not to say that there aren't other world-class destinations inside the world, but Yosemite is unique in that sense. Um, one of the reasons is that it's so close to the road. It's like our climbing does, and I'm sure fishing is probably the same way. We don't have the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? It's right. like, there's, there's no way to like, click a channel no and and be like oh i've pulled up a seat to the game and yosemite is as close as we get to that oh right so you can sit back and watch this going on because you can sit in the meadow and you can watch somebody try one of the most difficult routes in the world oh that's amazing yeah and then even the cooler part is that you can go have that experience and it's maybe you're not climbing at the same level but the feeling is the same Hmm. no matter Kind of like if you're up there on that wall, it's like being on, you know, the biggest stage our sport has. Wow. And it's so cool. And it's such a neat thing. And then you get to watch other people do it. And so that's really powerful is that, you know, it's like we don't all have the ability to tap into like Alex Honnold, you know, climbing without, without a rope. But <laughs> but say someone like Tommy Caldwell, who who was in a very, you know, well-received film that was on Netflix, I think, called The Dawn Wall. Um you know, we do get to go like, I, I, you know, like I've slept up there. I've worked hard on routes up there. And so I, I understand what it is like to sleep on the side of that wall, to be afraid, to feel joy when you get to the top of it. And so that's a, that's a powerful connection. So Yosemite is like, that's what makes it so unique. It's a, it's the world series. It's badass. Yeah. It's, it's like Carnegie Hall, I guess, of climbing. And so you've been, it sounds like you've been on the top and you've slept on, on the side of the, on the face. Yeah. What's that like for somebody that hasn't, uh, you see photos of this where people are, I'm not even sure what it's called, but you put your. It's like living your wildest adventures yeah. from like what you dreamed of as a 12 year old. I don't know how to, how to say it other than that. It's, it's pretty cool. Do you sleep good up there? Um, you know, it depends, you know, on what the, sometimes there's updrafts that'll come up, rise up the wall and like, you'll get this like. And do you ever wake up and have you ever woken up and been yeah, like. Yeah, you get this like magic carpet. <laughs> right. Sometimes where it's like, oh, I'm sort of floating right now. And you're like, oh, and then I'll like set back down. And, um, you know, so it's like, I probably would guess it's not the best night of sleep out there, but you get, you get used to being up there and you get, you're exhausted. So you got that going for you. And, and, you know, a lot of times you're, you're able to kind of, have like a little ledge where you can get up and stand. Oh, and, you can, right. Um, do that. It's not always just like a purely hanging uh, sleeping situation. So, yeah. How many feet is is that El Capitan? That <clears throat> It's about 3,000 feet. 3,000 feet. And somebody's climbed that without ropes? Yeah, Alex Honnold, who's, you know, the only person crazy enough to have done that. But yeah. So literally climbed it. So he's just, I mean, did, what is there a uh, video? Is there, is that, doc, I mean... A lot of people watch that. That was a free solo, which was uh, won the Oscar in 2019 for best documentary. It's on Disney Plus. Oh, awesome! There we go. We'll watch that with the kids. Perfect. Yeah. Jeez, that seems. I mean, now what is that? Who that guy just seems. I mean, if you do something like that, I don't know how you compare that, but 
I mean, how close are you to, you know, just falling at any point doing that? That's the magic of that. Is that I don't know. Uh, I mean, I would fall and I would fall and die. I mean, well, we're all, bro- I'm always broke up up there. Yeah. But if you fall, I mean, like you're climbing that thing, you've climbed it. Were there times, do people typically you're climbing and you can, you fall and your rope save you. That oh, yeah. happens. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Your rope is part of it. You fall. It's, it's the ropes part of the system. It's the safety thing. Um, yeah. You fall when you're up there and the, and the whole, the gear all kicks in and it's, you know, sometimes you know what's going to happen. Sometimes you just slip and it happens really quick sometimes. Um, so it, it can be quite surprising um, when it does happen. And sometimes it's like, you know, going into it that it's like, oh, this is going to be hard. Yeah. But wow. I'm probably going to fall here, but I'll do it in a safe way. And so that's that's part of the equation with, with that kind of climbing. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, it seems like the, I don't know what you call those sports, the the ones that take a little, there's maybe more danger. But I mean, I think all a lot of these, there's always some danger, right? I mean, everything you've probably talked about a lot, even fly fishing. I mean, there's been places where I've been crossing the river in high water and gone swimming in my waders, yeah. you know, and so there's... Well, it's a, yeah. there's, a, you know, I'm, I'm a UW Husky fan. Oh, yeah. And Joe Jezanka, who was like the, our, our like great punt returner for the Huskies in the, in the late 90s, he passed away a couple of months ago out by Forks up in Washington, fly fishing. Jeez. Um, and, you know, it was like, it, that was, it was actually, he was a great football player, you know, wasn't headed for the NFL or anything. He was a small guy, but he actually had a twin passion and was a, was a fly fishing guide. Oh, wow. I think um, kind of right after he finished up his Husky career, or even maybe during the summers, maybe something like that. And had like a lifelong passion for fly fishing. But sadly, like, I don't, I don't totally, it sounded like he, was maybe in maybe drowned or had a heart attack well some something bad happened and it was just like that's the reality is like it's cold water it's moving fast right right that's the thing yeah that's it well we're gonna take it out here pretty quick um i just want to check on a couple things first the podcast i like hearing about the tech because you've got this massive podcast which is you know bigger than most out there um how do you do your tech what do you like talk about your mic do you have a bunch of different microphones do you do i know you it's not necessarily like an, an interview show like this but like what are you using right now what are you talking into oh man i don't I have to look at it it is a nice mic yeah. whatever i'm using is like i had someone who knew more than me buy it for me you know because that's just what happens so you got good equipment yeah i you know i used to do a lot of the tech back but like in the early stages a lot of the computer stuff and a lot of that Fortunately, a lot of that, especially the computer side, is wildly easier than it was yeah. uh, in 2006, 2007. But yeah, we, I mean, we have, we had a bunch of different mics and d- different setups. I had a carpenter friend make me like a little studio because, um, you know, for pre-pandemic, we had all of our staff here. So the duct tape and beer, the, you know, the bigger company and the diaries, all the staff was in one kind of, uh, it was probably 400, 500 square foot office with two big rooms. And so I had um, my good friend uh, build me like a little mini studio so that other people could, you know, mm. go about their days and not have to be quiet while I was talking to people. Oh, and that's what you're in right now. Yeah, that's what I'm in right now. Yeah. So you're in a studio so people are, can be loud around you and we're not hearing anything. For the most part. The Blue Angels are here in town, though, for Seafair. Oh, I was gonna, yeah, I thought I was hearing something. I thought that was airplanes. Yeah, um, that might be the, uh, the exception is that they won't, they... F-22s get through the soundproof walls, turns out. Gotcha. Yeah, they do. Okay, good. And what? And we're going to do a quick little rapid fire here to take it out of here. But um, just give me your daily. So you've got this going on. I'm not sure how big your 
your team is there that's working on all this. It sounds like it's a decent size, but what are you daily? Are you working on new stories? I mean, what does that just take us back to a typical week for you, a day, day in the life? Well, on a daily basis, like it is like my world a lot of times looks very much like a nine to five. I go to an office, I, you know, ride my bike in and I'm working through stories. I'm reviewing edits. I'm preparing for interviews. I'm doing interviews. Um, I love actually doing the nitty gritty, like editing work of putting things together, but I don't, I get to do that less these days. It's, I, I love doing it, but it's, I don't do it as much just because I have to do other things in the company. But um, I try to have a connection. You know, I live in a big city, right? Yeah. And on some level, whether I find that here, I try to balance all that with the other two things that I love in my life, which are my family and being outside. And so sometimes that means getting up super early. I'll I kind of like, we'll wake up at, you know, 4.30, you know, we'll go squeeze in a mountain bike uh, ride with a good friend out on the trails outside of town here and, you know, get two hours of, of mountain biking in, come back in, show up at the desk sweaty, do my interviews. And then, you know, at night I try to spend time with my kids doing fun things. And we live in a great city for that. We swim a lot. Uh, we have beautiful lakes here. So we get out on the water as much as we can, um, just on weeknights, especially during the summer, obviously. And then, um, you know, it, it's kind of just like that's the routine. And it's at this stage in my life, I'm not like a big traveler. I'm not like going all over the all over the place all the time. Yeah, I, I did that when I was younger, but I have a, a tighter sense of home, and I love where I live. And so I kind of just try to make the most of that. And um, you know, for me, it's kind of those three things: is like, you know, spending time outside the work I do and my family and my friends too, you know, not know too. I just, I find a lot of um, like happiness in that. And yeah. it's pretty incredible. So I wonder if that's too, because that's kind of how I look at it too. I mean, I pretty much have, you know, this, this thing I'm doing, I've got my family and then I've got trying to get outdoors as much as possible. And there is overlap in a lot of that, which is cool too. But um, yeah. I, yeah, I guess a lot of people are in the same, that's kind of a good goal to have. Right. I mean, because, yeah. We're talking here on a computer inside and we're not outside right now. So there is that challenge, right? That the more you do, the bigger you still have these things pulling you away from it, right? Do you find yeah. that you're getting pulled more away as you go? Or are you able to get actually kind of get out there more? At certain points, yes. Uh, in, in my career, like I've been like, oh man, there were periods when my kid, I've got seven to 11 year olds. There oh, yeah. were periods when I was, when the kids were younger and it, it wasn't because of the kids, it was because I was having to travel a lot, having to travel a lot for work, you know, helping um, make films in places and, and doing that and just spending time on airplanes. And um, there got to be a stage where it was like, while I was making films out, you know, I was outside while I was making said films um, or marketing projects or whatever they were. It didn't always feel the same. You know, it, it changed the that experience. I, I wasn't necessarily doing those things. And in today I, I have slowly just sort of reshaped things so that I can be around here more. And part of that is getting my kids doing these things and the, the you know, the learning that can come from them, the joy that can come from it. I just like, that's a big part of it. And I wanted to do a good job of that. And so I find some, you know, I, I like the, we'll call them gravity sports. I like skiing. I like mountain biking. I like climbing. I like that feel of tension of that little like having to qualify risks and make decisions around it like i like speed i like all that stuff hmm. i don't know for whatever reason it just works well in my brain yeah 
you know, there'll be a time when it won't. But right now, it's, it still does. Have you done any skydiving? Is that part of your... No, no. no you know, it's kind of where the base jumping is kind of where I draw the line. I was like, yeah, maybe the, maybe the next life. But the base jumping is kind of where I'm like, ah, there might have been a moment when I was younger, but not not anymore. But um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's great because like now, you know, my... There's a point, you know, if you were to chart on the graph of like my continuing increase of skills... And then now that line for me is going up and the line for my children is rising. So I'm, the line for me, I'm going down on those skills and my kids' skills are increasing. Yeah, and that's right. I'm shocked by, I thought I had more time before those nope. two, two happen and they, they're here and they're right now. <laughs> and so right now I'm having this awesome time where I actually get to go do things with my kids um, where all that, those years of, of teaching have paid off. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, we. I'm at the same range. I'm a little bit older than him. I have a daughter. The oldest is 11. But we just did a we did a run. It was a 5K, and I mean, and she and she beat me. You know, yeah. and she beat me. And it was one of those things where I probably could have trained a little more for it. But you know, bottom line, it was really cool to see that because oh, yeah. she's you know at 11 years old, you never think 11 year old, but they're, they're I don't know if they're uh, upper level than what we were back in the day. But she's it's amazing, right? Yeah, it's so cool to see them kind of just jump into it and thrive. Yeah, good stuff. All right. Well, let's, uh, I guess one thing I was just going to check in here, um, you know, looking ahead, we talked about a little bit. It sounds like you're going to be doing the same. You guys do an episode every couple of weeks, right? You do basically like 25 episodes a year in that range. Yeah. Yeah. We're right in that range. And then we have like a, a Dirtbag Diaries Plus, basically, which is um, extra interviews that I do and mm. sort of fun roundtable conversations. So that's a subscription-based fee that oh, nice. um, we launched last year. And so there's, there's, uh, we're, we've, we've kind of added it up. So I think with that, we're probably more like at, there's something going out almost every single week these days. And then with climbing gold, the other podcast, that's been about 20 episodes a year too. So it's a little bit less, but it's busy. Yeah, it's busy. How do you keep in touch with, with your, your listeners? Are you getting feedback from them via email? Or what's the, what's the tip there to make sure you stay engaged? Most of it is via email. Um, these days and there was a period where the social media there was like a lot of great engagement there and sadly that that's sort of not you know as as things have changed yeah. in the social media landscapes uh it's not as good at connecting people as it used to be but there was a point where it was really that was like a very uh dynamic fluid thoughtful conversation and yeah that's evolved through time sadly for multiple different reasons yep yeah, for sure. It's changed there. And then what about fishing? We mentioned fishing a little bit. Do you have, are you looking ahead, looking at a trip? Do you have kind of a, a bucket list trip you'd like to go or a species out there that you haven't hit yet you'd like to get out to? I'm actually, it's funny. You caught me at the right time. Yeah. I, I'm taking the boys fishing this weekend. Oh, cool. We're, we're just renting a cabin with grandpa. It's nice. near a lake. I was like, cool, this will be great. It's not, you know, it's not Alaska, but it's still water fishing and the kids love it and it's magic and they dig it so i guess i'm pretty excited about that well check out check out the uh the balanced leech if you haven't seen it we have a we're always tweaking things on our podcast too so we actually have it's it's not similar to it's similar to use but not similar to what you do but it's different we actually have hosted up so i have i find like an expert gurus out there in the space and then i let them host the show for certain select episodes and it's been really effect i mean people our listeners have been loving it because it's not just me interviewing people it's actually the the best of the best and so we have the stillwater phil roy is our stillwater guy and he's been just really great stuff and he's got a series on yeah just stillwater stuff so it's 
something I'm always trying to tweak things. And I think maybe the next step would be to maybe get to your level where we're doing a little more of the journalistic sort of, you know, highly edited sort of thing. But we're not quite there yet, but we'll keep working on it. Any, yeah. any tips for a fellow, any of the podcasters or people that want to get into podcasting and maybe do something like you do? Any, any tips for that person? Yeah, I mean, I, just go do it, right? Life's too short. If you're like interested in something, just go do it. Even if it sucks, even if it sucks to start off. Yeah, or and just and realize like, hey, it's all a learning curve, right? You know, it's like you weren't good at fishing the first day or the first year or the third year, right? It's like there's a process that goes into it. And so I just be like, if you're excited about it, try it. And, you know, I, I think we all, humans are good at telling stories. Yeah, It is right. the currency. It is like the true currency of our world is the story, the experience, it's right. It's how we sell things. It's how we introduce ourselves to the rest of the world. It's all of it. So it's like, I, I think that there's more inside of us than we often give ourselves credit for. And, you know, just, just try it. I didn't know how to do it when I started. So yeah, you jumped into it. No, I love that advice. Cool. All right, Fitz. Well, we'll send everybody out to, uh, like we said, the Dirtbag Diaries podcast, uh, and that can be found out there everywhere. And then remind us again on social, where's the best place to check in with you? Yeah, check out Instagram. We're at uh, dirtbag underscore diaries and then duct tape and beer. Awesome. Yeah. All right, Fitz. Well, I appreciate the time today and thanks for all the great work over the years. Like I said, it's been it's been cool to see, you know, follow the everything you have going and I'm excited to keep in touch with you moving ahead. And thanks for sharing your, your journey a little bit on this podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Thanks so much for having me. That is a wrap. You can grab all of the show notes at wetflyswing.com. And please follow us on Instagram and share this episode out with someone you love. Please send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com if you have any feedback or want us to put together an episode on this podcast for you. Check in anytime. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to meet up with you on the water. We have new fly fishing schools going all year long and all around the country. So if you want to connect, let's do it right now. All right, time to get out of here. I hope you have a great evening. I hope you have a great morning or great afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping by and checking out the show today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.